Well, hey, let's celebrate being at church together today. So glad that you're with us. Everybody online, we love you, online family, wherever you're viewing from. Make sure you uh, type that in the chat. Let us know where you're watching from and how we can pray for you as well. Well, hey, welcome today. If you're brand new to ACF, we're so glad that you're with us. We're kicking off a new series called This Wonderful Life, and we'll get into that in a minute, but today is Baptism Day, and so we have filled up the tank, and uh, this is a tradition of ours. Every single month, we fill up the baptism tank and give you an opportunity to take your next step. If uh, you've given your heart to Jesus, which this is so exciting, like every single week at ACF, we have people who tell us that they have given their hearts to Jesus for the first time, made that decision to follow him and make him the Lord and leader of their lives. And so uh, if that's been you over the last month or so, I want to encourage you, your next step is baptism. And baptism is always the first step for a believer to go public with their faith. And it's a little scary, and it's uncomfortable, and it's beautiful all at once. And so I want to encourage you to do that. If, uh, if you're getting baptized today or would like to, there are some people in the back of the room that are wearing lanyards that have Love All, Serve All shirts on, and uh, they can get you everything you need. That's going to happen at the end of the service during our time of worship here together. So just encourage you to do that, even if it's, if you've been a believer for, for 15 minutes or 50 years, uh, today could be your day. And what better way to celebrate Christmas and the arrival of Jesus than to show the world that Jesus has arrived in your life. And so I want to encourage you to do that here today. But as we get into this series, uh, we're going to be talking about how God works through disappointment. And although it's a season of joy and peace and laughter in the Christmas season, it can also be a time where we deal with disappointment in life. Uh, For some of you, you've walked in here today and you're going through some really difficult things. And Christmas just doesn't feel right to you this year. And things are kind of off, and, and it's just not the Hallmark movie Christmas, right? Uh, and and that's, that's, that's all of us, because it, newsflash, it's fake. It's not reality. If you're shooting for a Hallmark movie Christmas, you will be disappointed for the rest of your life. But um, we're all going through different things. And this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, draws out some of those different aspects of disappointment. Who here has seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life before? Okay, you're doing better than me. So two weeks ago, I watched it for the first time. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'd never seen it before, so I was like, we're preaching a series on this movie. I should watch it. So I sat down with my family, and it's a good movie. I'm, I'm you know, wiping off the tears near the end of the movie, and uh, it, it just has some really, really good stuff in there. I want to start talking today about this, this clip, and you've got George Bailey in that moment just uh, yearning for something better than what he has. And have you ever felt like that? Like, you just feel like you want better than what you have. And, and he has this line where he says, I feel like if I didn't get away, I'd just bust, right? Like, I'd just burst if I didn't get away from this crummy little town that I live in. And, and you get the sense in the movie that that's all he wants, is to get away uh, from where he's from. And I want you to think about where you're from. What do you think about when you think about where you're from? You think about good thoughts and good memories, and, 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 and was where you're from a place that people succeeded and, and, and ended up doing great things, or was it place, a place kind of people went to just disappear and die? What do you think about when you think about where you're from? And, and by where you're from, I mean a few different things. Not just location, I mean the family you had. I want you to think about the family you were given. By where you're from, I think about the town you grew up in. Was it a, a town of bursting with opportunity or or not, I think of the opportunities you were given. Some of you were given lots of opportunity, hand over fist as a kid, and others of you were not given much at all. I want you to think about the abilities you were born with. 
Did you feel like, man, I just have all this talent, I don't know what to do with it all? Or did you feel like everybody else had one leg up on you growing up? How about this one? The decision you've made, that's all part of where you're from. Uh, it's just the decisions you made growing up and how those have shaped how you feel about yourself and shaped your life in so many different ways. We all have mixed feelings about where we're from, don't we? And I was just thinking, I'm reflecting this time of year on where I'm from, on my family growing up. And, and I don't know about you guys, but when I go back home to visit my parents, um, I love to look at family pictures. And my mom, she's got literally like stacks floor to ceiling. Mom, you're probably watching. Floors to ceiling, you still have them, don't you? Um, of pictures, family photos in the big, thick binders. And so I actually had her send a picture of us growing up. There we are. I'm the cute one in the photo. That's the one on the left. My brother is there on the right. And uh, did anybody, anybody have that couch in your house? Look at that print. I mean, that is some beautiful flower print on that couch. That's just good stuff. But this, I just think of these, these, these emotions and memories that come to mind when I think about growing up and, and, and what for you comes to mind. Most of us go, well, my family wasn't perfect and neither was mine. And we had problems and, and, and so did we. And things didn't happen the way I hoped they would happen, and most of us would say the same thing. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1. We're going to start off in verse 43, and this is a section of Scripture where Jesus is calling his disciples and, and trying to give them a, an invitation to be part of something incredible, part of something great. And as he calls them, there's a little bit of resistance that they feel. Because again, Jesus is the Messiah that is to come. He's the one that God has promised. And yet as Jesus arrives to the world, he doesn't exactly show up and meet all of their expectations. Some of you know what that feels like. You chose to follow Jesus and he didn't meet all of your expectations as the Savior. And it starts off by saying this. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. This is Jesus' invitation. To become a disciple of him, you have to follow him, right? Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now listen to this. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now, here's what we know about Jesus, is that Jesus shows up, and he breaks all of the expectations, right? He doesn't show up again the way that people thought he would. Born in little town of what? Bethlehem, that's right, you know. Born in this small town, and, and again, he, he's born in a manger, in a stable, right? But Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in uh, the city of Nazareth, and Nazareth was a little podunk town. I mean, it was, and it was a town that was looked down upon by a lot of different people. It was kind of a place that nothing good came out of that community, as you heard in what Nathaniel said. A town of maybe two to four hundred people. Some of you grew up in towns of two to four hundred people, right? It's little like one stoplight towns. This was Nazareth. And I want you to think about the reality that God designed this whole thing. And he designed that Jesus, the Savior of the world, would be born and come from humble beginnings, right? Born in a manger. And then he grows up in this town. Again, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel's like, I don't know that this is the Messiah. 
Because my Messiah is much greater than that, right? My Messiah wouldn't be born in Bethlehem. He maybe be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but he wouldn't grow up in Nazareth, right? In this little podunk town, what good could come from Nazareth? Can, can anything good come from Nazareth? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes, good things can come from Nazareth. And for you, as you look at your story, you have a Nazareth, right? And it may be where you were from, but it may be the decisions you made, the opportunities you were or were not given, right? The talents you did or did not have. That for all of us is our Nazareth. Maybe for you today at church, you're going, can anything good come from the situation I find myself in? Can anything good flow from this? Again, the resounding answer throughout the scripture, throughout the story of Jesus, and throughout our story is yes. God is in the business of making good things come out of bad situations. That's what he does. And so we've seen that. We see that throughout the scriptures. And it it goes on. I'll tell you this. Jesus, he does come from humble beginnings. And and I think for us this Christmas, to, to really understand Christmas is this. To understand Christmas is to experience humility. Jesus comes from humble places, humble beginnings, and and I don't think you can really get Christmas for all that it is without experiencing humility. But humility is hard to swallow. Because again, we all want to come from a great place and have made all the right decisions and have all the right education and all of those things. We all want that for ourselves, but that isn't life for most of us. Again, that is the breeding ground for redemption. That's what God loves to work through, but for most of us, we have regrets. And we wish we would have done things differently. And we wish this situation that we find ourselves in didn't ever happen. We all have a Nazareth, but once again, good things flow from these humble beginnings. To understand Christmas is to experience humility. And I want you to think as we continue on this morning, God, how can you bring humility into my life today? We know that the disciples, uh, they, they got humbled by Jesus over and over and over again. And if you want to flip over to Mark chapter 10, we have a moment in the life of the disciples where they, again, they want great things for their lives. These are just small-town boys, right? Small-town fishermen, humble beginnings, but they get up alongside the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and they're like, okay, this is our ticket to the top, right? Jesus is our ticket to the top. We're also always, all of a sudden going to be in this place of prominence and position, and that's what they want for themselves. And it says in verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask, which parents in the room never say yes to this question, right? Right? If your kids are are like, hey, do whatever we ask. No, I want to know what it is. Jesus, he's smart. It goes on. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. He goes on. He responds, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? I love the response. We can. We can do it, Jesus. Whatever you do, we can do it, right? We can. They answered, and Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So I want you to think about this moment. Jesus has been has been alluding to this reality that he's going to die and be raised again. He's, he's, he's already told them these things, and this is kind of the tone, and all they can think about is not that their friend's going to die, it's how do we get to the top, right? How do we get a position of prominence and power and authority? And so they ask Jesus for these things. They want to get out of where they've come from. 
They want to be part of great things, and Jesus is how they can experience this greatness. But here's the thing. Jesus shows up to the world from humble beginnings to flip the power dynamic upside down, to show the world that greatness is not what people think it is, to actually show people that greatness is humility coming from humble beginnings and that God loves to redeem people from broken situations, that there is a greatness in the kingdom of God that is completely on the other side of greatness from the world today. You see, I believe that the reason we despise our story or the reason we despise our humble beginnings is because of something very uh, simple in our lives but very destructive, and it's something called pride. And I will tell you that pride is something that has been one of the hardest things in my life to get my arms wrapped around, to, to just discipline. And there's always been pride that has crept into my life that I've had to just come to God and say, God, please heal me from this. Because it's, it's so hard for us to see, yet it's pretty easy for the people around us to see, whether you like it or not right? So I'm going to have you all stand up and ask the person next to you, do I have pride in my life? No, I'm not going to do that. That'd be really awkward, but the answer would be yes. They would all say, yes, you have pride in your life. And most of, most of us would say, but not me. Right? I see it in your life, but not in my life. But that's how it tends to work. It's destructive, right? Pride is where sin began in the world, right? Lucifer himself fell from heaven. It's a fallen angel because of pride, right? Pride causes us to be self-centered, to be self-promoting, promoting, right? And now, how, do, how, how could we describe pride? Like, I think we need a simple working definition. Here's mine. Pride is when we determine our self-worth based on our accomplishments rather than Christ's. It's when we determine, determine our self-worth based on what we have done instead of what Jesus has already done. So again, it's really hard to see. Can you spot it? Do you, do you know where it's at in your life? And I ran across some things this week. Uh, I didn't write this list, but it's, it challenged me, so I want to share it with you. But these are some ways that we can see pride in our lives. How about this? Pride shows up in our life when we don't want to talk to someone because they don't measure up to our standard. That's pride. So I want you to just kind of do an inventory of your life. How about this one? Thinking that they should have asked me to do that because I would have done it better. That's pride. Like you're listening to the band up here and you're like, you hear a note that might be off and you're like, they should have asked me to be in the band. I should be singing today, right? I would never mess it up. I'm, I would do better, right? Here's pride. Pride is wanting to turn the conversation to highlight something that you've done. Any one-uppers in the room? Like you've always got the next story, right? Oh, I'll top that, right? I can do better than, better than that. Pride is when we feel like someone else's success threatens our own success. We struggle when we see people doing well. How about this one? For men, feeling extra defensive when something in your life is called out by a woman. Might be a little pride in your life, right? But we're equal opportunity. For women, feeling extra defensive when something is called out in your life by a man. Might be some pride in your life, right? How about this? When you feel better about yourself when you hear about somebody else's problems. Like you're going to get that Christmas letter from that aunt or uncle or old friend and you're going to read it and be like, honey, their life is jacked up, right? And you're going to like get a little skip in your step because, man, we're, we're doing okay. Like I felt bad until I read that Christmas letter and now I feel better about my life. That, that's pride in your life. Oh, here's a harsh one. Pride is when we try to serve God without prayer. It's Pride. Pride is when we think pride isn't a big problem for us, right? Pride is when you're here trying to share this sermon with a friend, but you're not paying any attention, right? Mom, watch Pastor Brian's sermon this week. It's for you. It's for you. 
Pride is not confessing sin until you're backed into a corner. Right? Until there's nothing else you can do. This, we want to see pride. We want to start to notice it in our lives because, again, with pride in our hearts, we will not be able to experience Jesus for all he is this Christmas because we have a God that comes from humble beginnings. And if God comes from humble beginnings but we're full of pride, we will not be able to relate to that God. We won't have any way of connecting with him. So then what is humility? Humility is simply a right understanding of God, yourself, and others. A right understanding. Not to, humility is not to just think you're terrible. There's a brand of Christianity that would t- tell you like, hey, you should hate yourself. That is humility. And I will tell you that's a lie. That's a lie. Like, yes, we are sinful and broken apart from the grace of Jesus, and we need to know that, but we are so loved and so valued by God that Jesus died for us. And so we need to think of ourselves rightly, and others as well. Do you see the people around you as image bearers of God, right? As those that Jesus also died for. Not just the people in church, but that person that you struggle with at work, or that that ex-wife or ex-husband or whatever it is. Where in your life do you lack that perspective? Humility is thinking of them the way that Christ thinks of them. And then God, having a right view of God himself. This is humility. Again, when we go back to where we've come from, it can be kind of humbling, can't it? When you go home for Christmas, do you get a little humbled? Walking kind of the old streets. Maybe you see that old girlfriend or boyfriend, you're like, oh, yep, that was, that was weird. Or, you know, that awkward uh, old relationship or you know, the, the conversations around Christmas dinner, and you know, maybe it's grandma, is like, so you're still single? You know? You're like, thanks, grandma. Appreciate that. You know? Or your brother's like, so you're still married? And you're like, yes, I am, right? I don't know what the conversation, but you get humbled, right? Maybe you think about where you've come from, and it, and it just, it brings humility, and we think, I, I don't want any part of that, but, but maybe that's God's plan. Maybe God wants to humble us by what we've come through. Maybe there's something uh, challenging and good that happens in our hearts as we start to look at our humble beginnings. And God, God also redeems those things as well. The conversation continues on in Mark 10. It says, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So the other disciples are really mad about their request. Not because it was offensive that they asked Jesus this, which it was, but because they hadn't gotten there first, right? They're like, ah, oh, man, I wish we would have thought to ask Jesus to sit at his right and at his left, but you guys got there first. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, the power dynamic in your culture, the way it works, is they lord their power over you. And so for you, when you think of greatness, you think of somebody who is at the top, right? Somebody with position and prominence. Somebody who actually uses their power to step on other people, not to lift them up. He goes on and says this, not so with you. In other words, in my family and in my kingdom, we see greatness in a completely different way than what our culture says is great. So I'm going to flip things upside down. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So think about that. God goes, I'm going to send my son to the world. And he's not going to be born in this place of prominence, right? Surrounded by thousands of people in a very comfortable setting. He's going to be born in a manger, right? 
And then he's going to grow up in Nazareth, this little podunk town that nobody thinks anything good comes from. I'm going to send my son from there. This is all communicating something about the greatness of God to the world. We have a God that shows his greatness through the way that he serves. And so I want you to just know this, like if you're above serving, you will never be able to relate to that God. If you're above uh, anything in this world, doing that for someone else, whatever it may be that you're above, you are not going to relate to that God because that God is a God of service. If you want to be great, he says, become a servant. We use this term in our culture, the goat, right? What's the goat stand for? Greatest of all time. So I went to Google to, to search for the goat in different areas of our culture. So that's where you get... All the right answers is from the Google. And so um, you can argue with me later uh, on the answers to these, but I'm just, this quick poll. Who do you think is the greatest athlete of all time? Okay, Tom Brady. Who else? Anybody else? Okay, okay. Let's put him up. There he is. According to Google, I'm just saying MJ, Michael Jordan, is the greatest athlete of all time. Who is the greatest businessman? of all time. Anybody? Got some Elon Musk in the room. Pretty recent. Steve Jobs. According to the Google, it is Henry Ford. Henry Ford, right, is the greatest businessman of all time. How about this? The greatest band of all time. Nickelback. (laughs) Definitely Nickelback. We're going to go with that. And it's Nickelback. No, it's the Beatles. It is the Beatles. Again, you can go argue with the Google. How about uh, for me, who's the greatest country singer of all time? Anybody? George Strait. No, you're all wrong. It is Mr. Johnny Cash. That wasn't Google, that was me. I'm just telling you, he's the greatest of all time. This is greatness. I want you to think for a minute. This is how we define greatness in our culture. Prominence, power, position. And if that is greatness, guess what we will constantly destroy ourselves to get? If you define greatness by notoriety, success, money, and power, you will destroy yourselves and others to try to achieve it. No wonder we have such a dysfunctional society when that's what we see is greatness. No wonder it's so uncommon to see someone get on their hands and knees and just be a servant. No wonder God shows up in such a different way and Jesus washing the disciples' feet is once again showing them this is greatness. And it's not the greatness that the world will notice. You will get no credit from your friends that are outside of God's family for this kind of greatness. But you will get credit from the one whose opinion matters most. And that's God himself. That that is greatness in the world. So I want to give us a few ways that we can build humility in our lives, because I know all of us here are wanting a little more humility in life. And so I want to give us three things. The first thing is this. We want to begin to live outwardly. Live outwardly. So we know about Jesus. Jesus didn't let his story make him self-focused. See, for some people, our story is all we talk about, right? Like, oh, I'm just from Nazareth, right? I'm just from this little town, or I went through this thing, or I had this uh, dad that was this way, or this mom that was this way. We allow our story to cause us to focus on ourselves. Jesus did not. He let his story 
via the way that he could focus on others. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I read that this week and started arguing with it. Because um, I was like, like nothing? Can I, can I do like a little bit out of at least selfish ambition? I mean, certainly not. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So again, the way of greatness is to live outwardly. It's to look for the needs of others, to focus on what's going on around you. Do you notice the people around you? Especially this Christmas season, like maybe you went, Christ- who went out on Black Friday, went shopping? Anybody? Does anybody still go to the store on Black Friday anymore? Like we went out, there were like six cars at Lowe's. I think everybody does it online. Anyway, when we think of greatness, we don't always think of putting other people's needs first. We think of running over other people, right, to get what we want, which is typically what happens on Black Friday. But what if you started looking to the needs of others first? Have you ever been in one of these situations where like, you know, you show up to Red Robin, and you're walking from the car, and you look across the parking lot and you see somebody else walking from their car and you start speeding up, right? And they start speeding up and pretty, pretty soon like you're in an all-out race to the door with somebody you've never met in your entire life just to get in first, right? What if you just stopped and you're like, after you? Greatness. Greatness. Turns out greatness is putting others above yourself. Greatness is living outwardly towards the lives of others. How much time do you spend thinking about your story? Versus how much time do you think about the story of the people sitting next to you? People you work with, your friends in this community, do you think about their story? C.S. Lewis says this about humility. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. I'm going to start using the word smarmy more often. (laughs) Who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. This is true humility. It's not self-focused. It's others-focused in our lives. The second way to build some humility in life is this, to serve sacrificially. Think about this. Jesus didn't let where he was from limit what he could do. Have you been that person who's allowed where you're from, what you've done, what you've come through, your Nazareth, to limit the possibilities in your life? Jesus didn't do that. He said, I've showed up to serve, and anybody can serve. That's the beautiful thing about greatness in the kingdom of God, is it's not something that you need a special talent to do, or the right pedigree to do, or a degree to do. It's something everyone is invited to, to serve sacrificially. Philippians 2, 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Once again, high bar. You get to think about your friends, your spouse, your neighbors, like Jesus does. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. It's a very famous passage. Um, It's known as the kenosis passage. Everybody say kenosis. There you go. You got your Bible Greek for the day. Kenosis simply means emptying or poured out. So Jesus himself, 
God in the flesh shows up to the world to pour himself out. If there was ever someone who deserved a position of power and prominence, it was God. And again, we go, man, but I'm, I deserve more than that. I don't deserve this little crummy beginning and this little crummy town, this little crummy background and, and these decisions. That I, I'm just going to push all of that away and go after what's next. And God's like, no, that's part of your story. And it's part of what I'm going to use to develop humility in your life so that you might experience the greatness that I define as greatness in my kingdom. Jesus shows up and didn't let where he was from limit what he could do. Serve sacrificially. I put that word sacrificially in there intentionally because I really believe that serving doesn't begin to do a work in your soul until it becomes sacrificial. So there is a temptation in everyone's heart, and I'll be the first one to say this, for me, to serve to the point of sacrifice and then to stop, right? So we love to find ways to, to, to do service or to, to, to do uh, any kind of, uh, of giving ourselves to something. Maybe it's just serving at church or helping at work or just going a little bit of the extra mile until it begins to cost us something, then we stop there. But if you look at the way that Jesus showed up to the world and the way that he lived his life, he didn't come to the world and say, I'm going to deal with some ridicule, go through some difficult things, then I'm going to get like teleported back to heaven and that'll be it, right? Jesus says, I'm coming to the earth to die for the sins of humanity. Is that a sacrifice? <laughs> Absolutely. If you even look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, it was always about the first and the best. God's like, hey, I want you to bring a goat. And it was never like the disabled goat with the broken leg that was already kind of going to die anyway and like give that one to God. It was always the first and the best, like your best animals. Bring that to the altar. Sacrifice that. It's this idea of first fruits, right? It's not like I give to God. I, I, I tithe once I'm done buying everything else for myself. And then whatever's left over, I give to God because I don't want it to cost me anything. No, God's, God, this is, this is the way of Jesus is to serve sacrificially and service doesn't change your heart until it costs you something. Think of the way you worship, right? Like when, when we sing at church, do you worship in a way that costs you something? Like do God, does God see a heart of someone who wants to pour themselves out for him? Or do we just sort of mutter the words and get on to the next thing? Right? Worship becomes worship. Service becomes service at the moment of sacrifice. The moment that it costs you something. And I will tell you once again, only you know when that, when that moment comes. Right? Because I don't know the cost to you. And you don't know the cost for me. And so you might give up a couple minutes to do something, and that might be a major cost, and God might be like, well done. Well done. You took a step. That's huge. So we can't determine this for anyone else, but we must determine it for ourselves. Does that make sense? So we're not, we're not out to go like, oh, that didn't cost you enough. No, th again, this is, God loves the heart of someone who wants to sacrifice. It's the widow with the two mites that she brings to Jesus, right? Jesus is like, this sacrifice means more to me than the sacrifice of all of those others because they gave out of their riches, but you gave from your poverty. You gave everything, and it meant something to you, so to me, that's infinitely more valuable. So serve sacrificially. As adults, we can learn to hide our pride through service. You know, we can do that. We can find a small way to serve so we can convince others around us that we're doing what God wants us to do when we're actually neglecting God's call on our lives to go and sacrifice. Ronna Rollheiser says this, during our adult years, pride often disguises itself as humility 
as a strategy for further enhancement. So we can actually disguise our pride with humility by doing just enough to look like we're trying to help without actually stepping into sacrificial service the way that Jesus did. And the last way that we can build some humility in our lives is to love unconditionally. Everything Jesus went through in his life, he used as fuel for love. Now I want to ask you, does what you've been through turn into fuel for love or fuel for hatred? Either towards God or toward others. Jesus leveraged everything for for love, right? Romans 8, 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the promise. That you can't do anything to earn the love of God, which means you can't do anything to lose the love of God. That you can be secure in his love for you. And so we can believe that fully and wholly. It's an unconditional love. You simply must receive it. And that's the beginning of salvation, is when you step into this moment and you go, okay, Brian, I'm finally ready to say I'll receive love from God. That's your moment of salvation. Love unconditionally. Don't be defined by where you've come from. Don't let where you've come from steal your love for others or for God. And it is so easy. I know some of you guys have some terrible stories. Some of you have been through some God-awful circumstances. And so you have a hard time loving. But that is what the enemy wants to do, is steal your love from others. Again, Jesus wants to flip that upside down and use those things as fuel for the love of others. And so we have to get over our egos to do that. And I'll start with me. So I think it begins with church leadership. I ran across this quote uh, this week that was really challenging to me from David Hansen. He says, The best and most talented in the pastoral ministry and denominational hierarchies harm themselves and harm the church most through their unrestrained ego and unwillingness to step off the high places. Sexual sin gets the press, but ego sin kills the church. All stop. If you're wondering, like, what's going to hurt the church the most? It's our pride. It's our egos. It's not being willing to step off of our high places of prominence to do the things that God himself was willing to do. To wash the feet of those around you. That's going to kill the church. And I'm convinced that's what's hurting the church today. That's what's going to keep us from impacting our city the way that God calls us to do. Is if our egos get in the way. Like, I'm just too busy for that stuff that Jesus did. Okay? It's an invitation to greatness to do the things that Jesus did. To serve, to love. And that idea that like sexual sin gets the press, like that's what ends up on Netflix, you know, and different streaming services. It's always there's some kind of sexual scandal in churches, and certainly that's terrible and does exist. But again, the thing that's killing churches is ego. It's ego from leadership, ego from people in the church, our unwillingness to step out of the light and to go and serve in quiet places, in dark places where nobody knows about it. He goes on and says, Jesus told us exactly what direction our lives are to take. Don't miss this. If anyone want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's where greatness is found. Denying yourself. And again, if you're here today and you're going, Brian, I've done some good stuff. Praise God. If your business is thriving, right? If you're making lots of money, if your family's just killing it right now, if you're super talented, praise God. 
But don't let those things keep you from the greatness that's defined by the kingdom. So we can be sidetracked by our poor beginnings, our humble beginnings, our broken beginnings. We can be just as sidetracked by our success. And it can cause us to walk into failure according to God, which is not to serve and not to love unconditionally. You see, I, I think the biggest thing keeping all of us from the joy that God has for us this Christmas is not our humble beginnings. I think it's us. So write this down. You've got to get over yourself to get to Jesus. You've got to get over yourself to get to Jesus. And this is, again, from the beginning of salvation, the moment that you humble yourself, say, God, I need a Savior, that's the beginning of new life in Christ. But it doesn't happen if you're not willing to get over yourself. All the great things that you want for your life, the meaning that you hope your life will have, and you know, the day that you lay on your deathbed, right, and you're breathing your last breath, Nobody's going to ask, like, how great were you in the world's eyes? People are just going to ask, like, did you serve? Did you love people well? That's what you're going to value is, did I really make a difference in somebody's life? Did I care for people? Did I love people like Jesus loved me? You see, Jesus, even he did not deny his beginnings. In Acts chapter 22, Jesus introduces himself. Say, who are you? And it's so interesting. Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. You see, he wasn't afraid of where he'd come from. In fact, here's what I think. I think Jesus knew that his humble beginnings only served to highlight the beauty of God revealed through his life. And I think that can be true of you and me. So we don't have to be afraid of where we've come from. We don't have to hide our stories. God knows. We can allow other people to know. Because those humble beginnings can highlight the beauty and redemption of God in our lives. So we want to take a step forward today. If you would grab your action card off of your seat. And uh, if we would all just, I want to do something specific today. Um, So if you guys would just grab that. The first thing is this. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, we really want to know about that. So please check that box. We want to get you some resources and uh, some ways to take a step forward. But we're going to take 60 seconds. And we're going to write down the five names of people that we are praying for this Christmas. Five people who you know who don't know Jesus, who have not yet maybe stepped into a church or, you know, are resistant to things of faith. Five people in your life that we're praying for. And so we're going to take 60 seconds, and here's what we're going to do is I want you to drop those all in the baskets on the way out. We're going to compile a huge list of these names, and we as a staff and as a prayer team are going to be praying for every single individual name all December as we walk into our Christmas Eve gatherings, uh, which we're doing six of this year. We're really excited about that. So um, I want you to write down those names, and I'll call us back to pray here in just a moment. You can do just first names if you're, like, weirded out by that. Like, that's fine. Um, God knows their last name. So you can just do first names, and uh, we want to pray. I'll call you back in just a moment.
If you couldn't come up with five names, just go to lunch after church and ask the lady that serves you your meal, her name, and just write that down and send it to us, and we'll make sure you get names. So uh, we want to be praying for our community uh, today and uh, be praying that God works in our city. Would you stand up? And uh, we'll move on in worship. And if you'd like to be baptized, if today's your day to do that, head out to the lobby. We'll get you all set up. Jesus, thank you for the church and for our call to serve the city. God, thank you that you send us here with a mission. That we have something to do. God, that our lives are not meant to be focused on ourselves and our story. We're meant to focus on the, the stories of others. So God, I pray you'd heal us from our egos and our pride. We know it exists in our hearts in dark places. Um, so reveal it to us so that we can be healed, we ask. And God, use us, send us out on mission from this place to the lonely, to the hurting, to the dying, that we could share good news with the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.